Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we are so excited to be here. And Father, you are a God who loves us and cares for us, and you answer prayer. And we've seen that, and we thank you so much for that. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to open your word and begin to uh, really desire for your spirit to use your word to speak to us. Uh, Father, there are still some things or some people we want to pray for that are heavy on our hearts. Uh, Lord, there are several that are still sick. Uh, think of uh, Reggie and Lisa and Cindy and others. We pray, Lord, that you would heal their bodies and, and return them to us soon. We do want to pray, Father, for Joel Humphrey, who is uh, uh, still facing some uh, serious treatments for a tumor that he has. We know, Lord, there's some more testing he has to go through. We ask, Lord, that if you be, that would be your will, that, Lord, that you would cause this to become completely cleared up and that he won't have any lingering uh, effects from this. Pray for Max. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the surgery he's gone through. We know, Lord, there's a lot of swelling, and we pray, Lord, not only will the swelling go down, that he'll soon be released, uh, but, Lord, that the surgery will be considered to be a, a great success. Father, we, want, we don't want to leave anyone out. We know, Lord, there's others who are in need of prayer. And so we, we ask, Lord, you remind us uh, to come to you often when we think of individuals and then to pray for them and ask you, uh, the God of the universe, to intervene on their behalf. And, Father, we've seen it happen, and we've heard of it happening so often, and that gives to us great comfort, and we thank you. Father, we ask now also, as those who've been saved by your grace, that, Lord, your spirit would use the word that is taught today, that you'd give me clarity of thought, uh, clarity of speech, to be able to correctly communicate your word. That, Father, we may grow, that we may mature, that our joy may be deepened, that our walk with you would become much more mature, and that you may be used by us, Father, in the lives of others, to encourage other believers, and Father, also to be an influence in the lives of non-believers and seeing them come to know Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So as we continue our way through 2 Corinthians, again, we want to make sure that we remind ourselves of the things that Paul has been saying because it helps us to grasp what he's getting into and even why. So he's just mentioned earlier uh, about obstacles that hinder the ministry of reconciliation. Remember that all of us have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. We serve others by declaring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul has already stated that he wants to make sure that his life, we need to make sure our life is not an obstacle in the way of others hearing that, believing that, understanding that. When it comes to that, um, one of the things that he's mentioned, which we, I guess we kind of extrapolate from that, is we want to make sure that we don't have what's called restricted affections. In other words, we don't want to hold ourselves into ourselves. We don't want to live our lives as if we're just private people. 
The idea is that we are ambassadors for Christ. Our life is on display, and we want it to be that way. The second defiling compromise, which he's going to be getting into, is getting involved with unbelievers in ways and associations that limit us and keep us from being what we ought to be. Even though these are just a few short verses, there's a lot here for us to think about. In our lives as individuals, as we live our lives as Christians. Again, that's, that's one of the key things we, we need to think about is I'm a Christian. When it comes to things that I'm doing, when it comes to people that I associate with, when it comes to organizations that I join, when it comes to who we marry, all those things need to be influenced by this understanding that I am a Christian, that I belong to Christ, and that means something. So Paul really begins very strongly here. There is no way to misunderstand what he's getting at. He comes right out and says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, we don't want to assume that everyone just knows what that is, and then we just move on. But this is clear instruction that believers should separate themselves from unbelievers, from iniquity, from darkness, from Belial, and idols. Now, we're going to look and see what that is. Let me just remind you, Belial is a word uh, that is at times used as a proper name. Uh, beyond question, when you see this word appear in the Old Testament, it, its meaning is being worthless, uh, living recklessly or living in a lawless way. Um, the expression son or a man of Belial must be understood as meaning simply a worthless or a lawless fellow. So the idea is, is that we are to be separated from lawlessness. We are to be separated from recklessness or reckless living. That's what he's getting at to. So when he mentions this here, to not be unequally yoked, this is really a very broad statement. We often think of this only in terms of marriage. Now, that's not incorrect. That's correct. Uh, that's one of the applications of this passage. And we would, Christians will say that a believer should never marry a non-believer. That's never a good idea. There are some who have this idea that, well, you know, when, when, when I marry them, I will be living my life in such a way that they'll get saved. That's just really rare. Hardly ever happens. And almost always what ends up happening is the believer begins to drift from the Lord. But even if that wasn't the case, it doesn't really matter. What does he say? He says, don't be unequally yoked. So what we have to make sure we do is we don't want to allow ourselves to be drawn into uh, a conversation with an individual where the pragmatic aspects of obeying or disobeying scripture becomes the primary thing. It doesn't matter if every single non-believer who married a believer became a Christian, if that was to be the case. What does he tell us not to do? He tells us don't do that. That's the application of this. Many have called me before, just through the years, saying they have questions about business. Well, should I go into business with a non-believer? And man, there's, you know, there's all kinds of ways to, to try to understand that. We never want to compromise what the Bible says, but we don't want to go beyond what it says. And so how do we, how do we understand this? As I was kind of thinking about that and looking at what a lot of different individuals have said, it, it's not forbidding business relationships, but we can say this. Generally speaking, we know this to be true. People do not abandon their most deeply cherished beliefs, beliefs simply because a co-worker or a business partner disagrees. 
What's more, business relationships can be defined contractually. So when you enter into a business partnership with anyone, Christian or non-Christian, it is always wise to make the terms of the contract very clear and determine ahead of time what circumstance would cause the relationship to end and what the terms of settlement would be if that should happen. So if you're entering into a relationship of any kind, especially a formal and legally defined relationship like a business partnership, you need to ask yourself, what is the likelihood that my testimony for Christ will be compromised or harmed? Or harmed? That is the determinative and all-decisive issue. So in some cases, it would be like really obvious that a believer should not do so. Let's say that you're in the medical field or you, you invest in the medical field and there's this one company and they have two branches of service and one of those is they're, they're heavily involved financially in places that provide abortion services. Yeah, I think it would be wrong and sinful for a believer to partner up with that group. There's just no way you can get around that. Because right? there's, there's that sense of approval. Right, so that's an easier one. The other ones can become much more complicated. But the thing is, so it's not saying that you should never enter a business with a non-believer. But you do need to think about associations, what that business is about, what it's going to accomplish, and are you going to be restricted in some way. And we'll get into a few more things in, in a little bit. But just so you understand that these things can be hard to figure out. We sometimes want just the easy answer. I've even had people tell me, other pastors have said that before, when it comes to almost any issue, they ask the pastor, what about such and such? And he begins to answer, and they go, just tell me. Should I do it or not? <laughs> and of course, you don't want to walk into that trap. Because if you do, and things don't work out, the universe says, well, yeah, I would have done such and such and made a lot of money, but Bob said, <laughs> right? That happens. Or, or Bob said to do it, and look, I'm ruined. Um, so we're not going to do that. But anyway, nonetheless, as I already mentioned, it definitely refers to, as far as its application, to the marriage relationship. A Christian should not marry an unsaved person. If you are already married to an unbeliever, that is not telling you to divorce them or to separate them. Because as you read the rest of Scripture, I believe it is the will of God that in that relationship, you are to remain in that relationship. You are to be committed to that relationship and do all you can and pray for them and pray for the individual to become a believer. All right, so there's no, this is not them being, oh, you're yoked to an unbeliever, you need to leave them. That's not what that's saying. This applies also to secret orders or fraternities or societies. How can you be faithful to Christ consistently and go into an association where the name and the person and the work of Jesus is diminished, compromised, or even unwelcome? That's a big one in some areas. And we do need to ask the questions. And some people will say this when it comes to some kind of group that they want to join. Well, the, I know people that are in it that are very good believers. That means nothing. That doesn't mean a thing. What does the scripture say? What is he telling us to do? Does this group in any way diminish or compromise the person and work of Jesus Christ? What is that organization known for? What are its primary concerns? What, what is its reputation? All those things come into play. And it's really very important because why? I am a Christian, period. And so I, it doesn't matter. Now, we, again, I can use the easy illustration. There could be some white supremacist group that wants me to join them. 
But that's not going to happen. Because that's, that's going to diminish who Christ is. Can't be a part of that. Ever. Period. I, I, I know, I may have shared this once. I remember sh- I was shocked. I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, so there's a lot of things about some of our history here in America I was unaware of. And I decided to do a report on the Ku Klux Klan. And so I'm digging into it and you know, writing my paper on it. And I came to something that, I mean, I didn't know this. I mean, I was in high school, but I was just stunned by this. That there were... A, a significant number of men who were pastors who belonged to that organization. And I just kept, how is that even possible? And I, and I was thinking, there is no way those individuals are Christians. That there's just no way they can be that way. And I'm convinced. I just don't see how they can be Christians. It wasn't like what the Ku Klux Klan believed was subtle. You know, that wasn't like some secret thing. You know, they, I know they wore hoods to keep their identity secret, but there was no secret as to what they stood for. And so the bottom line is we have to ask ourselves those questions. We are not free and clear to just do whatever we want in life just because we think something's a good idea or maybe our association with that group will help us in business because of contacts and whatever. The application to social life would be really as following. Christians should maintain contact uh, with the unsaved in an effort to win the Christ. So this is not telling us to isolate ourselves from non-believers. We're not, we're not told to do that. We want to maintain contact with unbelievers. One of the main reasons why I coach high school football, I do love football, yes, and I do enjoy coaching. There's nothing wrong with you doing something that you enjoy. Uh, it's not like, well, I have to hate it, but you know, because I love Jesus, I'm going to do it. No, I love football, but one of the reasons why I coach high school football is so that I can meet more non-believers. Because you know when you're a pastor, after a while, your circle shrinks. And everybody you know is a believer. You know, I mean, it's just that's not a whole lot of non-believers look for a pastor to talk to. It happens every now and then, but it's pretty rare. But the bottom line is, is that I'm just, I don't associate in groups where there's going to be non-believers I get to know. That's one of the things that I get to do. And it's great, and we should do those kinds of things. But we should never engage in the same kind of activities that a non-believer engages in when they engage in their sinful pleasures or engage in their activities in such a way that leads them to think that you're no different than they are. That's important. If you join a group, whatever they're doing, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily living immorally, but you join a group and, and you are like them in every way and there's just no difference, all right, which again may, has a, at least a diminishing or a negative effect on who Christ is, then you, you can't do that. It would be wrong to do that. And I, I just can't go through a list of things. It, it, there's all these things where it depends. So this is not situational ethics, all right, where we're determining our ethic by the circumstance. What this is, is we're trying to figure out how do we apply scripture to everyday living. And so there's a very clear standard that we get to follow. And I can always go back to that standard, which is what this is, and measure. And if you are doing all of that and you have doubts about whether you can still maybe join an organization, then don't join. Don't do that until you are clear. Because hopefully the relationship we have with Christ is more important than that. Much more important. This also definitely applies to religious matters. In other words, if you are a faithful follower of Christ, you don't want to hold membership in a church where unbelievers are knowingly admitted as members. Now you would think that, well, what church does that? Well, there's actually several. You know, because of the political 
atmosphere we live in. And this is not a brand new thing. It, it goes back at least 50, 60 years in, in some ways where churches have kind of compromised what the scripture says and are allowing individuals to become members of their church or members of their organization that it's not clear that individual believes the gospel. They're not even clear on the gospel, which also makes it even more difficult to figure out what it is they're joining. But if you're involved in a church like that, you can't be a part of that. There's a problem there. And so there are times that that person needs to leave the church. Not because they don't get their way, not because maybe their sin's being confronted, but because it goes against what the scripture clearly teaches. And there are many, many decent churches out there. But there are those that do not follow what the scripture says. That's why we don't want to participate in a worship service with unbelievers or participate in an ecumenical service or joint service with those who deny the deed of Christ. So there are, there are those, and I don't know who they all are, but I do know that there are people who think I'm a real stick in the mud, and I probably am, but that I've been asked to do certain things that I'm just not going to do. I've been asked to go to uh, the elementary school down here. Several years ago, they were going to have a kind of a big open field service thing with the kids, and they wanted someone to come and to pray for the kids and for the teachers of the school year. And the reason why I said no is if I'm the only guy on the agenda, I got no problem. And if I'm, the only, and if I'm, if I'm one of several pastors of Christian churches doing that, I got no problem. But they're having a Jewish rabbi come and a Muslim imam come and some others come. And so now there's a problem. It's a problem because what it appears, even though I'm not saying it, it looks like I'm saying we're all the same. It looks like I'm saying all everything we believe is is, is valid, and whatever the differences are, are minor. And they're not minor. And so I had to refuse. The person I was talking to did not understand. Didn't really want to understand. And I'm sure thought a lot of really negative things about me. And, it's gonna, and that kind of thing is going to happen. But we need to be clear on that. We cannot be unequally yoked. And of course, this does come down to some other very difficult issues as well. Because there are some moral and political things that groups get involved in, and we as Christians need to ask ourselves, are we going to be a part of that? You know, there's a group in town that uh, is pro-life. We are pro-life. I'm pro-life. But there's some, there's some problems with this group and with how they identify themselves and what they push and what they don't push. The problem is, is the group is supposed to be Christian, but they're not about the exclusivity of Christ and the exclusivity of the gospel as the gospel is presented in the scripture. There's a mixed message there. I'm all for pro-life, but we can't do that with them. We may be able to do something like that, similar to what they're doing, but not with them as a part of them. It's not because I want the preeminence. I don't want that. It's not because we're not going to get our name first on the donor list. I don't care if our name even appears on a donor list. What's important is, are we being unequally yoked with an organization that in some ways diminishes the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. See, that's the kind of things that give, when I say gives Christians a bad name, it's a bad name in the world. I don't think it's a bad name. But that's the kind of thing the world, they don't like that. They hate that. And they don't want to know the reasons. If there is a reason, they want you to give it to them in five seconds. 
You know, just the real, the sound clip. Sound clips used to be a minute, then 30 seconds, then 15 seconds. Now that's too much. And you want to explain it to them. They don't want to hear all of that. Henry Morris said this. He said, Paul here is using a metaphor that is based on Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 19, which forbade plowing with an ox and donkey yoked together or attempting to interbreed animals of different kinds. The clear inference is that believers and unbelievers are so different in character and interest that they should never be yoked together in situations requiring strong agreement of attitudes and goals, which again would be marriages, churches, business partnerships, lodges, other organizations that have religious overtones, etc. The prohibition here is not intended to require a complete repudiation of everything that is secular or charitable organizations or friendships. Again, but when our faith is in jeopardy or when our Christian conduct and influence is endangered, being, is going to be restricted or whatever the case may happen to be, then such connections should be severed. One can witness to unbelievers without partaking of their beliefs or sinful behavior. There was a, a guy that was, he was preaching, I think he was preaching since he was 16. His name was Vance Havner. I believe he's dead now. He was this super small, skinny old man that used to live in North Carolina. And he just had a really a very unique way of communicating the word of God. And I remember listening to a sermon of his once. And he was talking about uh, helping those, uh, helping an individual who's a clown. And he says, you know, you don't have to become a clown to help a clown. He says, you don't want to be a clown. He says, when it comes to helping those in, in the gutter, he says, you want to keep one foot on the curb as you step down and, and reach a hand down to help them up. You don't go and lay down in the gutter with them. And that's the idea here, is you want to make sure we're standing firmly on the truths of Christ. And that it's always that. Again, after making the strong statement here that we should never be unequally yoked with unbelievers, he then goes through a bunch of rhetorical questions where to make the point. The answer should be obvious to those he's writing to, but it's to make sure there's no misunderstanding of his point. So he says that we should never be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Then he says, for what partnership has, righteous, has righteousness with lawlessness? Question two, what fellowship has light with darkness? Question three, what accord has Christ with Belial? Question four, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Question five, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He is driving the point home very strongly. The word partnership here, when he says, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? The word partnership means exactly what we think it means. It means partaker. It means sharing, as in, a, as in participation in common fellowship. It's a relationship involving shared purposes and activities. In 2 Corinthians 6, the absolute lack of common interest or ground for fellowship between righteousness and lawlessness is emphasized. So the focus is on the partnership, not the partners. Emphasizing here that the active relationship based on shared purposes and activity is more than the people involved. That's why he makes that the statement. It's got nothing to do, in a sense, with that person and their personality or those things. The idea is, is that you cannot partner lawlessness with righteousness. That's just it. Cannot be done. The word fellowship, it's a word that we use often. Most time as Baptists, we think fellowship means eating. It, it can involve eating, but it doesn't mean eating. Uh, it means that we have that which is in common, which is more than a love for food. 
the Christian uh, fellowship is that we, we are committed to Christ and Christ alone. We are committed to the gospel and living in light of the gospel. Fellowship describes the experience of having something in common and of sharing things in common with others. It describes a close association involving a close relationship, the state of sharing mutual interests, experiences, and activities. It's a relation in which parties hold something in common. And so what we hold in common is Christ and the Word of God and the essentials of, of the doctrines that are, so, are associated with that. The word accord that's used here is simply where there's uh, another way of talking about unison or agreement or being in harmony with something. The word portion here is understood by the word share. So I guess we have to go back again and then ask this question. So what is a yoke? He says, don't be unequally yoked. I understand all these questions. What does he mean? What's a yoke? Is a business partnership a yoke? Is a union membership a yoke? Is a marriage a yoke? Is a date with a non-Christian a yoke? Again, we have to be careful here. Because some have taken, again, this verse and used it as a justification for withdrawing from the world. Remember, Jesus made it clear when he was talking to his disciples that we were staying in the world. He was leaving us in the world. There's a reason for that. So this is not telling us that we need to have a lack of contact with non-Christians. We, we need to build a holy Christian life where some have said it's kind of like from the womb to the tomb. And what you want is a Christian family and a Christian job and Christian friends and everything is Christian. And that's not what God's called us to do. And he's not, that's not how he's called us to live. Not all associations are yokes, but yokes do have two characteristics. So this is how we can figure out what a yoke is. Number one, the first one is that a yoke is not easily broken. It's a kind of a permanent relationship. When you yoke two animals together, they are bound together. If you've ever seen a yoke, you know, usually it's a picture of what's it's in the plowing they do kind of in, in Asia now, because uh, most people have tractors, but there's that big, thick, heavy piece of wood where you, you know, put it over two oxen, and uh, they got to work together. They are, they are bound. They, they, they are unable to break that yoke. They're, they're, they are now stuck together, period. They don't have any choice. No matter how uncomfortable it is, they must do things together. So as I was kind of doing my research, I came across uh, a sermon uh, by a guy that was uh, kind of well-known back in the 80s, and he used this illustration. I think this illustration came from uh, a family that he was involved in um, uh, counseling because there was different kinds of problems with marriage and the kids and their marriage and various things. And so he was given a, uh, the, the girl that he was um, uh, helping she gave her his diary, because I guess he'd asked if she kept one, she did, and uh, he was looking at it, and this is what he came across. On her wedding day, she came across, he came across this prayer that she had written down to God, and this is what she wrote. Dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately, with all the rush of getting ready for today, and I'm sorry. And I guess, too, I feel a little guilty when I, when I try to pray about all this since Larry still isn't a Christian. But, oh, Father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I just couldn't give him up. You must save him some way, somehow. You know how much I have prayed for him and the way we've discussed the gospel together. I've tried to not appear too religious, I know, but that's because I didn't want to scare him off. Yet he isn't antagonistic. And I don't understand why he hasn't responded. Oh, if only he were a Christian. So, dear Father, please bless our marriage. I don't want to disobey you, 
but I do love him, and I want to be his wife. So please be with us, and please don't spoil my wedding day. <laughs> now, I think she's being very sincere. She's very sadly mistaken. So the preacher's name was Stuart Briscoe. I was trying to remember his name. I didn't write it down. That's who it was, Stuart Briscoe. So he rewrote the prayer for her. He said, this is what you were praying. Dear Father, I don't want to disobey you, but I must have my own way at all costs. For I love what you do not love, and I want you to do, and, and, and I want uh, what you do not want. So please be a good God and deny yourself and move off your throne and let me take over. If you don't like this, all I ask is that you bite your lip and say, and say nothing and don't spoil my wedding day and let me have my evil. I mean, that's kind of what she was saying. You know, that's why we have, you know, we, when it comes to your kids, they say they're going out. You need to know who they're going out with because this is what normally happens is this. Once they become emotionally attached, it's very, very difficult to follow through with what God's word says. We can, but it's very difficult. And then if you, if you add their immaturity because they're young, it's even, it's overwhelming, you know, because they, they think their entire world is going to collapse. We know that it won't, but they don't know that. And so that's why, and actually this would be true even if you're, you know, 40 and desperate. The idea is, is that if once you become emotionally attached, we begin to kind of justify our actions. And you, you don't want to go there. You do not ever begin this kind of thing trusting yourself. You cannot be trusted. That's, how, that's the best way to live your life. You cannot trust yourself, period. You do not want to find out how strong you are. If, if you're going to be tested, let God take care of that. Don't you start setting that up. Because this is, the, this is what it is to. And this has happened in the lives of many, 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 many people. And it's been catastrophic. Normally catastrophic for their faith. So the bottom line is when it comes to a yoke, a yoke is not easily broken. The second, part of, the second mark of a yoke is this. It constrains someone. It does not permit independent action. There is something that forces you to comply with, with what the other wants to do whether you like it or not. Any kind of relationship that does not permit a believer to follow the Lord in all things is a yoke. Even a friendship can be a yoke. If you feel you cannot do what God wants you to do because you will offend your friend, then that is a yoke and it must be broken because God must have first place. That can be very difficult if you became a believer later in life and some of your better friends are non-believers. This isn't telling you to run out there and tell them they're no good and break it off with them. But they, they cannot be your best friend normally because your best friend is someone you don't want to what? Offend. You don't want to do something that jeopardizes the relationship. There's a fear of that. And sure, remember, they're... they're a non-believer can't help themselves. They have a completely different agenda. Remember that the Bible says, because it was said about you as well before you became a believer, that they are the enemies of God. It doesn't mean that they're screaming and yelling and even cussing at God. Hatred doesn't always look that way. Remember that we've made this contrast before between unrighteousness and the word ungodliness. And ungodliness is something that God hates. 
And ungodliness is living your life as if God just doesn't matter. Believers can live ungodly, and it is sinful, but that is the norm for the non-believer. And so we need to make sure that we are what? Not unequally yoked. And that is so important. We need, to, we need to be asking ourselves that question. Now, there's a few more things that we need to discuss with this as Paul goes on, but we need to make sure we have that part right. So number one, we're not saying that we are to end all association with all secular friendships and organizations in our life beginning today. That is not what that is saying. It's not calling us to a life of isolation. But it is a call of God calling us to separate ourselves from powerful, sinful influences. And that would be these things that we have been discussing. And so you may be in a relationship right now uh, whether it's with an organization, with an individual, that's, that if you're going to follow and obey what God says, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hurtful. There's a huge chance that those you may need to separate from, will, they will not understand. They won't. They're not going to get it. You, de- you, you do need to, pro- to progress carefully, prayerfully. You may need some guidance from some mature believers. All right, because we, we don't want to come across the wrong way. We don't want, we're not talking about compromising the truth. But we want to do it the proper way. That may mean, most likely will mean, you will have to suffer loss. But it's better for you and I to suffer loss for the Lord and live in obedience to what he said than to compromise and try to come out on top. Whether it's reputation or power or the way things look or financial or whatever it may happen to be. God is to be first in everything in our life. If you want your life to go well, and this isn't a threat, this isn't, I'm not saying that you'll never be successful, but if you want to grow in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where you are experiencing on a daily basis the blessing and the joy of God, of being used by God in the lives of others in the most important areas of life, then we need to live in obedience to what God says. There, there, there can be no compromise. There can't be. If you know someone, maybe it's your wife or your husband or someone else that you know that is a believer, that's, that is in this kind of position, I would suggest that you not call them up today and say, you need to break it off with such and such. If you don't, you're going to die in your sin and go to hell. That's not the best way to handle that. But you do need to begin to pray that the Lord will begin to convict them and ask God to give you wisdom to try to find a way to approach that subject. Now, you may have to wait some time, which is okay. I'm not saying wait three years. That would be too long. But the idea is to do so in wisdom. Because remember, it's not up to you and me to convict the individual of that sinful relationship. The Spirit of God convicts people of sin. And so we, we want to be used by God. Absolutely, we don't want to get in the way of that. And we don't want to compromise that. And so if God uses that, terrific. But it's not where I am on my own willfully trying to somehow manipulate their emotions to make them feel guilty. Don't have to do that. Let God do that. And so, again, ask God for wisdom. Use the scripture. Pray for them. uh, Approach carefully. Seek uh, the counsel and prayers of those that are more mature to move forward in those situations. If it's, if it's something that involves your children, but they're adults now, you, we all know that can be very hard, be very difficult. But it's the same thing I've just told you, the same thing you do with a friend, you want to do with your kids. 
right? Just because mom and dad say something, especially because they're adults, doesn't mean they're just going to suddenly do it. We want to be able to discuss these things with them and help them realize that they may not move right away. But I don't think it's wrong for us to want people to believe what we believe. But if you're dealing, for example, like with your kids or a good friend, you don't want them to believe what you believe just because you believe it. You want them to become convinced this is what the Word of God says. If they only believe because you believe it, I don't know how long that conviction is going to last. But if they become convinced this is what God is saying, then that's, that's different. And, and we want to see that kind of change take place in their life. So I trust that we'll take these things to heart and that we will evaluate our life and ask the Lord to show you if there are any associations in your life that you need to address. And if there's not, praise the Lord and ask God to to give you wisdom and boldness to be able to use the relationships and associations you have with non-believers to find ways to plant the seed in their life and to be used by God to bless them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. And Father, we know that we can sometimes find ourselves in very difficult situations. We don't like those things, and it would be, in our mind, easier if it would just all just kind of go away. But that's just not going to happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would would help us. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us search our own hearts and to search our lives to see if if there are some things that need to be addressed. Where we have, maybe we weren't thinking about it, maybe we we were unaware of it, but nonetheless, the personal work of Christ is is diminished. Being able to live fully as a believer is being restrained. And so, Father, we ask that these would be pointed out to us by your Spirit. You bring people in our lives to help us with this. But, Father, we may experience, again, the great freedom that comes from living for you in obedience to what your word says and to not be bound by sin or sinful associations. Father, for those who are not experiencing these things, I pray that you would always keep us from pride and being arrogant because we think we're better than others because we've never fallen for these things. Lord, that just, just puts us so much out of touch as a believer to allow arrogance to come into our lives because somehow we have done it better than others. We pray that you give to us a very heavy heart for those who may be in bad situations, even if it's of their own doing. Help us to love them, to care for them, to pray for them, and to help them if you should desire to use us in their lives. And if not, Father, that we would continue to pray for them and support them as believers. Father, may your glory always be the goal of what we do and why we do the things that we do. We thank you, Father, for being so patient with us. Help us to be patient with others as well. And again, we pray, Father, for those who may not know Christ, where none of these things doesn't even occur to them because they're not committed to Christ. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict them of their sin and their need of Christ. They would come to you and they would repent of their sin. And believe in Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you and ask that you would work in our lives and help us to mature. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.